This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour two. I had a chance yet to say it, but happy Friday. This is Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls, we have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems where all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Uh, very happy to kick off the hour. My head down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Chat with our pal John Bender, former Nevada Wolfpack, former Calgary Stampeder offensive lineman stamps. One preseason game in the books and their annual red and white game coming up at Saturday at McMahon Stadium. Free admission for fans to go get a look at the uh, team ahead of their season opener coming up in just a few weeks' time. Uh, we're uh, connected with John right now this afternoon. John, thanks for doing this as always, man. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you guys doing? We're doing awesome. Uh, stamps with one preseason book, our game in the books already, John, and now just uh, a couple weeks away from uh, kicking it off for real. McMahon, how's uh, the excitement level for you uh, ahead of Stampeder season this year? I think I'm really excited. I mean, there's lots to go on in training camp and some few things to sort out, but they have a lot of their boxes ticked, so to speak. Um, I mean, we all know who the quarterback's going to be this year. We know who the offensive line is. We know that there's a good foundation. Uh, but there's always going to be a lot of change when you're talking about pro football. Uh, they swapped out a lot of the defensive line. They uh, you know, made some changes on defense. You know, they made some changes to their Canadian ratio. Uh, you know, th- there's going to be some things to sort out here in camp, and I think that they're going to do that over the next few weeks. And then I'm excited for some, you know, some summer games at McMahon and getting back mm-hmm. rolling here. Uh, you mentioned it there. It kind of feels like going back to last year, the writing became pretty clear for, for Bo Levi Mitchell that the team was going to move on and, and take a chance with Jake Mayer, the starting quarterback. And look, Jake had his struggles uh, in the playoffs last year. We saw that against BC. And, you know, Bo got his, his final time as a Stampeders quarterback in that game at BC Place. But I think overall, John, you know, Stamps fans probably should feel pretty confident about you know, the decision from Dave Dickinson and, and John Huffnagel to anoint Jake Mayer as this team's next starting quarterback. you feel the same way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every, like we always, when I was playing, you know, a lot of this, the veterans always joked that every year, you know, the GM would bring in a player to try to replace them. And I mean, that's just pro sports. I think that Jake Mayer was brought in and given an opportunity to, you know, replace Bo Levi Mitchell and, you know, that's going to be an uphill battle. And Jake was the one quarterback that's been able to succeed him and able to do that. And, uh, you know, Jake's a very, very accurate quarterback. Uh, he's really good at hitting the quick passes underneath. Uh, you know, he's a guy that's tough. He stands in the pocket, does a great job there. 
He's not afraid to go downfield. I'd love to see him go downfield a bit more this year. And I'm excited to see, you know, him creating some, you know, him and the other wide receivers all getting on the same page and seeing what that team can do. Why do you think it was time for, for Jake Mayer now? It's it's always interesting because obviously Hamilton put a big priority on bringing Bo in and they still think he can be a winning quarterback in this league. But why do you think now was the right time for the Stamps, John, to, to make a move like this? You know, I mean, I, I have trouble saying anything negative about Bully by Mitchell because, <laughs> you know, he's been such a great quarterback in the community and such a great guy in the community over the last decade or so for Calgary. But, I mean, his play wasn't at the level that they had expected it to be previously. And maybe he comes back. You know, a lot of people didn't think that Zach Caleros uh, would have this, you know, great finish to his career. A lot of people didn't think that Ricky Ray would have the great finish to his career. But uh, Bo Levi Mitchell just seemed to not have the same arm strength that he previously had, wasn't able to go downfield as much. Um, you know, with Jake Mayer, you know, he obviously scrambles a bit more. It's another element to the game. Jake's got a live arm. He's young. And, I mean, there's probably a $200,000 to $250,000 difference in their contract. Mm-hmm. So I'd imagine that plays into it as well and with some of the guys that you're able to, uh, you know, put around the quarterbacks. So we've got one preseason game in the books. It was a rainy affair at McMahon between the Elks and the Stampeders. So I know it's always a bit hard to judge. And, and preseason, you know, as we know, John, it, it happens so fast. It, it can be hard to, to make an impression one way or the other. Was there anything that did stand out to you from a positive way for the Stampeders from that first preseason game against Edmonton? Yeah, I really liked what the offensive line was able to do. Um, you know, what I think that in camp, you know, offensive line often takes a long time to gel because, and just, you know, for the offense as a whole, we often see in camps that, you know, when the defense comes out there, they only need one player to make a big play for the defense to look like it's doing its job, where the offense needs all 12 guys kind of rowing the same direction and, you know, making their blocks, you know, doing their assignments and executing. And I was impressed with the offensive line. Things looked good. The quarterbacks had time. Running lanes were open. But with the senior group, a veteran group that they have here, you know, I, that's exactly what I would that's exactly what I would expect. You know, a lot of those guys have played together for a long time, and I think that the Stampeders are going to find a lot of good things from that here throughout the season. Yeah, and interesting to see. You mentioned it's a pretty senior group. Really, the only change we're going to see is that right tackle. Uh, disappointing for the team to lose Julian Good Jones as uh, such a you know a young talent there, but obviously he's going for an NFL opportunity. We wish him the best when it comes to that, but speak to that sort of continuity, John, and you would know it as well as anybody, how important it's going to be for, for Jake Mayer and Kadeem Carey uh, and even, you know, Dedrick Mills as a, a backup running back to have that offensive line be so, you know, together and know each other so well. And it's a group that, like we said, really might only see a change at right tackle as far as the starting five are concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such a unique position in sports with offensive line because, so much can change so quickly. When you're looking, I always use the analogy with people that imagine, you know, you're playing a chess game and right before it's your move, all those chess pieces move and you have to know what to do still. Yeah. And that's kind of what being an offensive lineman's like with the defense because throughout that quarterback's cadence when he's doing the set hike, there's people moving around and that can change your blocking assignments 
and the guy beside you, you know, all five guys on the offensive line, they have to know what to do when those things happen. And you have to know that the guy beside you knows what to do. And you have to be able to speak. And, like, you know, I joke the offensive linemen kind of have their own language because they have to be able to talk to each other. But the defensive line, you know, you can smell their breath. <laughs> and they have to not know what you're talking about. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, conversations that you have as offensive linemen, some words you make that means, you know, like we used to say Cog was a center guard combo to go to middle linebacker and we would yell out cog cog and things like that throughout you know throughout the snap and those are decisions that happen quick and you have to know whose call that is to make when to do that and when you're shuffling new guys in there every week or two which is what happens in pro football with injuries and poor play it can be a real challenge but this has been a really veteran group they've been together a long time played at a high level a long time and i'd expect them to have a great season how uh, cool is it going to be for Stamps fans? It ended so unceremoniously last year for him, and I've talked to him already, and I know he's excited, but uh, for Stamps fans to get another year of, of Derek Dennis out there at left tackle and work on that blind side for the team. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he's a guy that's played great, you know, well into his 30s, and I can't tell you how, how impressive that is. You know, when I played, there wasn't a whole lot of guys, and there still isn't a whole lot of guys in the CFL playing well into the 30s. I believe Derek Dennis is 34, going to be 35 this season. And he, if he had been healthy the whole year, he would have got my vote for the most outstanding lineman in the CFL. You know, between him and Stanley Bryant, another former Calgary Stampeder, yep. there's been a lot of elite, elite play at left tackle for a long time in this league. And those two guys have both been able to play well into their 30s at a high level. And, you know, for us, for, you know, for us as, you know, fans in Calgary he's been one of the mainstays and one of the better offensive linemen they've had over the last decade and there's been a lot of great ones and Jake Mayer's got to have a a certain level of appreciation for that knowing that he's got such a solid group and a guy like you know not just Derek but I'm sure you know Sean McEwen leads the way from the center position there as well it's got to be big for a, a young quarterback to not have those kind of worries heading into his first year starting pro football hey yeah absolutely if uh you know he knows that Time count in his head. Maybe he can get an extra second here and there because he knows the guys around him are going to be blocking. Maybe that opens up a wide receiver further downfield, gives him more confidence. And, you know, when you see young quarterbacks, you often see them peel out of the pocket quick. And, uh, you know, he's got a veteran group around him. I think that's going to help. Uh, so, obviously, the, the big name change we talked about there was, was Mayer getting the start now for the Stamps and believe by Mitchell off to Hamilton. But when you look at this group, John, what else sticks out to you as a question mark uh, ahead of this season for the Calgary Stampeders? Where are the biggest areas that you're interested in seeing as this season gets underway? I think the biggest areas is the defensive ends. Um, they brought in Julian Hauser, they brought in James Vodders, two players that have both had great CFL careers in the past and put up big numbers in the past. And how are they going to do in the Calgary Stampeders system? I mean, the CFL, just like a lot of football leagues right now, it's all about how much you can get to the quarterback and how often. And if you're able to get to the quarterback, you know, in the CFL especially, if you get a sack, that kills a drive. You know, they only have three downs to get 10 yards. If you get a sack in one of those, oftentimes that leads to that team turning the ball over, punting, or something like that. So it makes a huge difference. They lost a lot of productivity between Falaire and Arimalade and between Sean Lemon last year. And uh, if they're able to get, you know, 10 sacks from each side of the D-line, I think that would go a long way to 
finding their ultimate goals, obviously, of, you know, getting deep in the playoffs and winning a great cup. Uh, interesting to uh, to note too on that defensive side of the ball, G- uh, Jameer Thurman is gone as well. Sort of, you know, I, I don't know if you see it the same way, but you know, sort of the quarterback of the defense, the guy calling the plays back there at the linebacker spot for the last season or so for the Calgary Stampeders. He's also in Hamilton now, following Bully by Mitchell. They have an interesting battle going on at that spot too, because that middle linebacker spot they had formed a pretty good tandem with Jameer Thurman and, and Cam Judge last year. John now. Uh, that's all of a sudden a position they've got to figure out. Yeah, I mean, that that's another position that, uh, you know, you want to have a veteran in there. You want to have a guy that can uh, lead the defense. I know they brought in a few bodies, and they have some internal competition for the middle linebacker spot, for the starting spot. But, uh, you know, that's going to be – those are something that's going to play out in camp, like I mentioned earlier. And we're going to know a lot more about this team and what they're able to do. And, uh you know, they've got some veterans there that'll sort itself out. Um, I, I guess uh, Trey, Trey Roberson's going to be a big question for this team as well. Uh, health was, again, an issue for him last season, and you wondered what it would be like for this Stampeders team if we we're talking about a couple of these veterans who didn't get hurt. How important do you see him and his role for the Calgary Stampeders on that back end of the defense, John, if he is able to stay healthy? Oh, it's huge. If you're able to have a shutdown corner, especially, you know, on the near side of the field. It makes it really challenging for teams to uh, be able to get downfield and do what they want to do on offense. The CFL is obviously a heavy passing league, and if uh, you're able to, you know, take the other team's top wide receiver out of the game, it makes a big difference to the overall flow of the game. Gives those defensive linemen that we talked about earlier some extra time to get to the quarterback. Maybe it leads to more turnovers. It can make a big difference, so... Yeah, so he's one of the guys that'll be watching to be healthy this year. Uh, John Bender's along with us, former Calgary Stampeder, former uh, Nevada Wolfpack offensive lineman, doing a little bit of a season preview for the Calgary Stampeders. They don't play in preseason week two. They're back in action in BC June 1st for an 8.30 kickoff, and then they'll welcome in the BC Lions uh, for week one, home opener for the Calgary Stampeders uh, against those Lions on Thursday, June 8th. So we're not all that far away from regular season football happening, John. And, uh, of course, uh, one of the big things talked about this year, Jay McNeil's in as Stampeders president and uh, making his presence felt. I know you guys talked to him a bit yesterday. You guys have kind of gone through and you've heard everything that he said and, you know, talking about McMahon Stadium and trying to make it a, a better place to come and see a football game. You're, you're a season ticket holder, John. You go to as many Stamps games as you can possibly get to. How encouraging was it for you to hear some of the stuff that Jay's talked about and trying to make McMahon a, a better place to go see a football game? I mean, I liked it. I think that, uh, you know, with McMahon Stadium, obviously there's challenges with a stadium built in 1960. Um, I know that there's no plans in the immediate future to build a new stadium, so we're at least probably five years away from anything happening, if not more. And I think that, you know, as fans of, you know, Canadian football in Calgary, as football fans, you know, we should all be encouraged to go out to McMahon Stadium and watch a game because number one thing that you want to see at a football game is your team win at home. And the Stampeders have won 80% of their home games over the last 15 years or so. And, you know, there's a team up north in Edmonton that that's not the case, where they haven't won at home in two seasons. You know, there's some other teams in the CFL that are really would really, you know, dream to have the success that the Calgary Stampeders have had. So, I mean, you know, if you're a Stan Peters football fan, if you're a CFL fan, I mean, it's an opportunity for you to be really proud in your city, proud of your team, and go out there and cheer them on and, uh, 
you know, if you got friends in other cities in Canada, you can remind them that, you know, the road to the Grey Cup often comes through Calgary, and uh, it's going to be tough for them to win games here. Uh, so week two, CFL uh, preseason gets underway today. I mentioned the Stamps. Uh, next game is in BC for preseason week three before uh, they kick off the regular season on the 8th, John. But uh, I guess as you look across the league and we start getting set for regular season football starting in a couple of weeks here, how do you see, let's start with the West maybe, how do you see the West working out this year? Obviously, big changes in BC. Uh, Vernon Adams Jr. takes over the starting quarterback spot there. Uh, Edmonton is is still Edmonton, I think, with Chris Jones trying to build up the program there, and we know what Winnipeg brings every single year. What kind of competition do you see the Stampeders having when it comes to their division this year? Uh, I think the Blue Bombers are the class of the CFL. They've had as good a football team in the CFL over the last three years as any, you know, as anyone in the league. So they'd be the team that everybody's looking to knock off and is looking to, uh, you know, We've all been waiting for them to get too old, so to speak. And, you know, with Stanley Bryant, with Zach Caleros, with Willie Jefferson, with a lot of their top players being over 30 now, we just, you know, assume sooner or later they're going to slow down. It just hasn't happened yet. So we'll see how that plays out. There's been a changing of the guard in a lot of the other teams. I mean, you know, the you know, from the Stampeders having a quarterback change, the BC Lions, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, at Edmonton, they have, you know, there could be a quarterback change at a moment's notice up there, too. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But, uh, I mean, there's obviously a lot of talented players in the West in the CFL. And I would imagine that, you know, the Blue Bombers are probably going to be predicted to be number one. And then, you know, Stampeders, BC Lions, probably 2-3. And then, you know, the Rough Riders or the Elks can get things going. Maybe they'll have an opportunity to make the playoffs as well. Uh, and I guess out east, really interesting as always, you know, the Argos win the, the Grey Cup, John, but uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson has moved on. Uh, it, it should be the, the Kelly show there for them. Uh, they've got uh, little interesting conversations in, in Ottawa going on. Montreal's made a big change with Cody Fajardo being there. And then obviously Hamilton goes out and spends the big money on a couple of former Stampeders. What do you see happening in the East? It feels like it could be another down year for that division as a whole, but we say that almost every year in the CFL with the East division, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think they've got some talented rosters. The Toronto Argonauts, I mean, they've got a lot of former Calgary Stampeders. We've all seen what those players have been able to do in the CFL. I mean, we'll see what they'll be able to do with Chad Kelly, but, I mean, they got to be, you know, right near the top there. It looks like the Hamilton Ticats have done everything they can to try and end that Great Cup drought. They're the long, they're the team in the CFL that's gone the longest time. I believe they've gone to four or five Great Cups in the last 25 years or so, and they haven't won any. Now they got the Great Cup at home, and you know they made a big splash going out getting Bully by Mitchell, going out getting Jameer Thurman. They got a few other free agents. You know they're at the veteran-laden group that I think that they're you know they think they have as good a chance as any. And then, you know, what's a, what are they able to do in Montreal with Fajardo? Fajardo was the, you know, he was a runner-up for the most outstanding player not long ago. I know last season he got sacked 70 times in Saskatchewan, so I would assume he wasn't very healthy and didn't have a lot of pieces around him. And is he able to bounce back? And what are the, you know, Montreal Alouettes able to do? And then, you know, Ottawa would be towards the bottom of the league there, but... And they've made a lot of changes too. And if they're able to get things going in the right direction, you know, they might be able to, to, you know, get a few wins and, you know, see see if they can flirt with a playoff spot as well. 
Uh, last but not least, John, uh, what's a realistic expectation for you when it comes to the Calgary Stampeders this season? You know, I think the same expectation. You know, they've done 17 straight seasons of making the playoffs. I don't see that streak ending. I would assume that they'll be flirting with the top spot in the West, first, second. You know, if they got third, you know, I'm hoping that they'll have a home playoff game. I know they have in the last two seasons. So if they can get to a home playoff game, I think that would be a good goal for them. But, uh, you know, I would definitely expect them to be a playoff team. I think there's enough talent here in the roster to uh, for them to get that goal. So, But uh, yeah, everybody's going to be trying to knock off the Blue Bombers, and that'll be the story of the league again this year until it happens. I know that the Blue Bombers lost in the Great Cup last year, but that's been, you know, three straight Great Cups they've played in. They played at a high level for three straight seasons. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Like I mentioned, Stamps off this week with uh, preseason week three in BC before the home opener coming up on June 8th, Thursday night uh, at McMahon Stadium. John, really appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on with us today, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, can't wait to chat with more football with you as the season gets underway, pal. For sure. Thanks for having me. Chat soon. Yes, take care. John Bender joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, former Calgary Stampede, former Nevada Wolfpack offensive lineman, uh, and, of course, uh, one of the guys that we love to bring on when we chat Stampeders football, uh, Calgary in the midst of training camp. Their annual red and white game goes tomorrow at McMahon Stadium, open to uh, fans, free admission. If you want to go and take a look at the Stampeders this week, they're not playing any games uh, of this uh, three-week preseason schedule. They're set to get back in preseason action on the first against BC. Interesting how it works out. they got a preseason game against uh, the Lions on the first, and then they welcome BC into Calgary for regular season action on Thursday, June 8th. So lots of BC coming your way, but not far away uh, from CFL regular season action getting underway for your Calgary Stampeders. We will take a break, come back on the other side. Jay's in a bit of a slide lately. They had a players-only meeting as they try to figure things out in a competitive AL East. Caleb Joseph, former uh, MLB backstop and uh, Jay's analyst on Sportsnet, helps us break down what's going on with the Jays of late. We'll chat about that and more next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, closing out the hour here on Sportsnet Today, Logan Gordon along with you. She's Taylor, he's Cam. It has been a miserable stretch of baseball for the Toronto Blue Jays. They enter a series against the Minnesota Twins. Losers of two in a row. And just two and eight in their last ten. Alec Manoa struggling again on the mound. Although his teammates not helping much with bad positional defense. In their last loss. It's been a disappointing start to the year for the Toronto Blue Jays who find themselves 26-25 and 25 at the bottom of the ALE standings in the midst of one of the more important years in franchise history given all the money being spent on this roster and big contracts that haven't been handed out to some of the team's biggest stars yet. The Jays need to find some winning and they need to find uh, a way to get on track. One way that's Traditionally been done, uh, you know, uh, teams getting back on track over the last, I don't know, since forever of sports is the, the classic players-only meeting. They closed the doors, got together, talked this thing through, and are now set to take on the Minnesota Twins tonight. 
It is a 6-10 first pitch right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, you can watch the game on Sportsnet 1. Kevin Gosman's on the mound. He has been a bright spot for the Jays, although just carrying a 2-3 and three record. He's got a 3.14 ERA, 81 strikeouts to just 11 walks. Well, Louis Varlon gets the start for Minnesota. He's 2-0 and with a 4.18 ERA, 31 strikeouts, and 7 walks. What's gone wrong with the Toronto Blue Jays? How do they get this thing back on track? That was a question posed to uh, Caleb Joseph, former MLB backstop and now uh, analyst for Sportsnet on Toronto Blue Jays broadcast. He joined Russick and Rose a little bit earlier today to discuss all things Toronto Blue Jays, starting with the uh, situation that Alec Manoa found himself in yesterday, uh, dealing with uh, a couple of base runners behind him and uh, a team that just doesn't look like they're on the same page right now. Here's uh, Caleb Joseph with the guys in the morning a little earlier today. Love what you had to say about Alec Manoa's performance yesterday. So if you're behind the plate catching Alec Manoa yesterday and the Rays are just running rough shot on the base pass, what would have been your reaction back there, Caleb? Oh, I'm making a mound visit probably after the first two stolen bases, and I'm saying, hey, I don't know about you, but I don't like guys scoring, and they're going to continue to score unless we make a change. And uh, probably with a little bit more colorful language, hmm. it was just it was just too predictable. And I, I think this has to do with Manoa being a traditionally slow worker who likes to use the pitch clock to his advantage. He's always liked to kind of hold the ball. And you look at last year how he liked to make the hitter call timeout, and it's it's kind of a technique that I don't think anybody's really doing anymore because they don't have enough time. But there was. In years past, you would hold the ball and hold the ball and hold the ball, especially with a runner on base, to not only kind of mess up that runner's timing, but try and get the hitter to call timeout. Now that you have the timer, that hitter knows that you're going to throw the ball within eight, nine, ten seconds, depending on when he comes set. And it was just so predictable. He was coming set, holding until either three, two, or one, and then letting it loose. And they just found that pattern and started taking off. And so you've got to go out there as a catcher and say, hey, dude, you have to throw the ball at seven, then one, then five, then nine, then three. It's called mixing your looks. And this is stuff mm-hmm. that you work on at a very early age in your professional career. And to me, it's just what happens when you've got other things going on and you're, you're, you're trying to execute pitches. That's, that's important. You want to execute pitches yet you also don't want to turn singles or base on balls into doubles or triples. So, uh, yeah, it turned into a track meet yesterday, and, and they, they, I, they lost the game because of it. They had seven stolen bases. Five of them ended up scoring, wow. and they had the tying run at the plate in the ninth, and they cost them the game, in my opinion. Um, obviously struggling with holding runners on, but also just the numbers flat out, Caleb, have been eye-popping for Alec Manoa this season. Among uh, MLB starters, uh, sixth worst in ERA, worst in whip, uh, worst in balls per nine inning, and uh, worst in pitches per innings pitched. Like, is is this an instance where how much longer can the Blue Jays put this guy out there for him to try to figure it out before they have to think, you know, maybe this isn't the level where he has to try to figure things out? Yeah, it, it's a question swirling around right now. And I think the 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 next question you need to ask is, well, who's going to come up? And, you know, teams can figure that out. 
teams can figure that out. And it's not about who's coming up and are they better than Manoa. It's it's about Manoa's future. It's about sending a message. It's about a number of different things, in my opinion. And I'm not saying that I, I would necessarily right up right now send him out, but there needs to be a message sent. And would you make a move like this if they were to do it? You could send a message through that clubhouse because as a whole, they haven't gotten it done. As a whole, they have played pretty sloppy baseball, self-inflicted wound baseball over the last two weeks or so. And what happens is you don't want one of your, quote, aces in Manoa Mm. to get so far down the rabbit hole that he forgets who he is, has absolutely zero confidence, and it kind of starts to derail his career a little bit. I do feel like he was making strides with Danny Jansen. His previous start, when it came to the walks were down, he only walked one person. He got a few strikeouts. It wasn't pretty or perfect, but it was absolutely a step in the right direction. I think it was five and two-thirds innings. He probably would have finished that game if John Schneider uh, hadn't gone out there accidentally, forgetting that, there was uh, already a mound visit, and he had to pull him. He would have finished that inning. He would have pitched six innings, two runs. And for me, it's the walks. It's the, the free passes. He, he, he just does not have the location that he, he, he has had in, in previous starts, going, dating back to, uh, to 2022. I thought Nate Jensen had a nice template in how it looks to kind of get him back on track. And I feel like yesterday they just totally went away from that template. If the injury to Danny Jansen keeps him kind of in and out of the lineup for a little while moving forward, how much is that going to affect the starters and really the pitchers as a whole? It could be, it could be a big factor. Uh, They've got Tyler Heineman up right now. Who's on the taxi squad, meaning he's, with the club, he's not activated yet. At any point, he could be activated. And uh, they have Rob Brantley down in AAA. And, yeah, Danny, Danny's such he does such a good job working with the pitchers. I feel like maybe I said this last time on your show. It, it took me almost three full seasons in the big leagues to finally understand and realize how to call a major league baseball game from behind the plate. I had tons of experience in the minor leagues and it just takes a while to, to figure out the ebbs and flows of a major league game. And it just, it's like a light bulb. And I've talked to so many catchers that have that light bulb moment. Like, wow, I finally understand how to really truly call a game, certain sequences against certain hitters with certain pitchers, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like Danny really stepped into that early on this season. He finally, hit that point in his career where he's calling an excellent game, understanding how to move, understanding how to go out and take mound visits when you need to, to slow the game down, understanding certain sequences lead to other positions in a game where you can do other things It can get really complicated and quite honestly, a bit confusing sometimes, but he's there. So if you lose a guy like that and then you have Kirk who still is, is still trying to, continue that process he's trying to continue his process in learning how to call that major league game like Danny has it could uh it it could be disruptive and honestly it wouldn't even really surprise me if he missed time just the way that this last two weeks has gone for the Blue Jays it's 
disruptive is probably the best word mm. that you can say to describe this team. They have it's just everything that has happened has just totally disrupted their their goals, their aspirations, and and their process to get there. You mentioned the the gaffe from John Schneider that saw Alec Manoa pulled in and what was looking like a really strong outing. Um, yesterday, the post-game comment was that it felt like being punched in the face for the last 10 days. I guess just how, if you could give a letter grade to the month of May for John Schneider, what would you give him? Uh, I, I would probably say B minus. I'd say B minus because John Schneider can't go out there and hold the runner on. He can't not bobble a double play ball. He can't execute a tag. He can't not slide past the base. He can't block a ball behind home plate. So I think you understand what I'm trying to say. 100%. Their their attitude is good. Their effort seems there. This is just about pure execution. And it's it's one phase of the game at a time that seems to fail them. So over the last two weeks or so, You've got the bullpen that blows a couple saves. You've got a couple base running mistakes inside a game that just throw the whole flow off. You've got an unexecuted block, uh, an unexecuted relay, an unexecuted uh, uh, double play. It just it's one thing after another, and the margin for error in the big leagues to win is so small, and people don't realize how small the margin of error is, especially when you're playing really good teams, which. The AL East is full of really, really good teams. You have to play almost a flawless, perfect baseball game to win in the big leagues. And is it too much to ask? No, it's not. This is what happens on championship teams. And I've played on an AL East championship team, and we played almost perfect every single night. And you've got to run the bases well. You've got to execute all your plays defensively. You've got to lock down the game on the back end when you've got the W, and you've got to find ways to win close games. And this team has just shot themselves in the foot over and over and over over the last two weeks. And quite honestly, that's what they were not doing early in the season. They were playing good, clean, solid baseball games. So I give Snyder a B-minus because there have been a couple pinch hit scenarios that have really kind of made you scratch your head and, and, and kind of, raise the eyebrows a bit, just like yesterday, uh, pinch hitting Dalton Varsho uh, for for um, uh, Ernie Clement. Ernie Clement came in and pinch it for Dalton Varsho. I mean, this is this is the second time that Varsho has been pinch hit for. There have been a couple pinch hit scenarios that have really kind of raised the eyebrows, yet the grade of B- is basically, for me, because he, he hasn't panicked in, uh, in this stretch and if the manager doesn't panic the players won't panic so even though all of canada that are that are are blue jays fans are panicking right now Mm -hmm. if those guys in the clubhouse don't panic they'll be in good shape caleb joseph former major league baseball catcher blue jays analyst for sportsnet joining us here on the atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline big show russick and rose sportsnet 960 the fan um how much would that wear on you hearing your manager argue balls and strikes like john schneider has done lately caleb well, it, it it wears on you, especially when you know that there's there's something behind it. The something behind it is your team is not winning. <laughs> and that mm. that is that's just the hardest thing to swallow. Is yeah, there's going to be some stuff here and there when when you're playing well and and it's his job to to 
defend a player on a, on a terrible call, yet you know when it's not going well and it comes out, you know, oh man, this is this is there's frustration behind this. Maybe that pitch wasn't even really a ball, but there's there's a lot going on here, and maybe he's trying to fire the guys up. And and I don't mind that either. I like that. You know, sometimes it it does. It, it's it's kind of like uh, sending the big guy out when the the team is off to a slow start uh, in hockey. And sometimes a guy got to go go drop the mitts and uh, and square up against somebody and get the boys going, get them fired up, uh, change the momentum a little bit. And sometimes an ejection can do that too. So, I I probably would have been ejected at this point in the last two weeks or or. 17, 18 days uh, that this slide has gone on just because I, I, I'm not sure I would have wanted to sit and watch it. <laughs> so get me uh, off yeah, this dugout. Can, yeah. 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 You can, uh, you can spark the team up and sometimes, you know, getting onto an umpire and, and funny thing is they know too, they know the scenarios, they know what's going on and they, they know it's, it's sort of part of the job description and business, but um yeah, kind of like the the big guy that runs out there and drops the gloves and kind of sparks the team up. The manager can do that too. Um, Caleb, I know that the Jays uh, players had the quote players only meeting after that loss yesterday. Um, give us some stories of players only meetings that you've maybe been involved in, and does it actually work? Uh, it it can. I've been a part of of teams that had meetings that it did work, and I've been a part of meetings that it absolutely meant nothing i i can remember we had some issues with a couple things going on a couple really one certain player to be honest with you and everybody else was kind of getting drug into this one player's drama and at the end of the game we had a very veteran very veteran player close the doors nobody was in there and it was just the players and he walked over to this player literally individually in front of everybody and absolutely aired it out and collectively said for all of us, if you don't clean it up, you're going to regret it because we're not going to have your back next time. And it was pretty powerful. Um, it was an open discussion and everybody was on the same page and we actually cohesively kind of bonded. And yeah, that was, uh, that was during an AL East championship season. So it's, it's, uh, pretty hard to imagine looking back thinking man we were we had one of those kind of do or die moments where the clubhouse could have split very easily and yet it it decided to come together so that 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 one worked yet heard Kevin Barker talking about this yesterday most of the time team meetings are the best players or players that have not been having a rough go at it, standing up, pointing fingers at all those players that, that, uh, that have not been playing their game. And that's probably true, but sometimes you need to be accountable. And sometimes somebody needs to look at you and point in your face and say, you're not getting it done. Pick it up. And yeah, that's fine. Like if you can't handle that, you're in the wrong business. And I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed accountability. And even if you or having a good time, or or even if you're not playing your best game, when you can stand up and look at a guy in the face and say, I care about you and this team so much that I'm, I'm willing to tell you to your face, you need to pick it up right now, or we're not going to get to where we're going, then you actually have something. It's the guys that are too afraid to a man to say something to a guy 
and and it's not challenging it's just being truthful and if you actually really care about your teammates and you care about him as a player too you will you will go say something to him and it doesn't have to be public and that's why the closed door private meetings are good i think i think they can really work and if you ha- if you have a, a group of guys that that type of conversation can pull them apart then you have the wrong guys you have the wrong guys in the room that can't cohesively come together and win as a team then it doesn't matter really how well you play. Eventually, it'll catch up to you, and you won't win. So I get what people say, but I, I've been a part of them that where they actually work, and so I, I believe that, that there's some value in, in, in having that and doing that. As, as you kind of go through everything that you said there, I, I keep coming back to Kevin Kiermeyer, a guy that the Jays brought in this season and kind of checks a lot of those boxes. Like, Do you feel like he's someone that was maybe brought in for everything he can do defensively, but also just to have that kind of consummate leader around some of these younger players? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And I, I've talked to so many people who have played with Kevin in Tampa, and they said he was, he was the ringleader. He was the guy who led the celebrations after they were victorious in Tampa, and they've done a lot of winning in Tampa since he's been there. And it's with it's with guys that that don't have the the huge salaries. It's it's guys that don't have the notoriety that a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has. They find ways to win, and he was in that he was in that core that that really celebrated winning. And I talked to a bunch of of, of players that played with him said that he's he is that guy he's the guy that 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 can hold guys accountable he plays the right way every day he will lead by example and yeah that's that's I think you're talking about a belt you're talking about Kiermaier even a Chapman these guys with getting close to 10 I mean belts at 13 years service time I think uh Kiermaier's at 11 years of service time Chapman getting close to seven or eight maybe even a little bit more than that. That's when you start to really get that kind of credibility. And I absolutely feel like Kiermaier was brought in to be kind of that guy. It's just a matter of can they get it on track and are there any cancers in there that we don't know of that are pulling other people in the wrong direction? I don't think that's the case. I think it's just a matter of pure execution. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at some point, you, you've got to just execute. You've got to put together – a good, clean, solid baseball game, all facets, and that's what it takes to win. You put together two or three of those in a row, you remember what it's like to win again, and then you can go on a 10 out of 12 streak and, and be right back in the thick of it before you know it. But, yep, Kiermaier is that guy. He can he can step into a room, command a room, have respect in a room, and really help drive that, that ship. That is Caleb Joseph, former MLB catcher, now an analyst for Sportsnet, uh, covering the Toronto Blue Jays with Ruskin Rose on the big show earlier today. Some great stuff there from Caleb. And whether it's Kevin Kiermeyer or somebody else, this Jays team certainly needs somebody to step up and lead them uh, to a, a good run of baseball here. Two and eight in their last ten, like I mentioned. Losers of two in a row to end that series against Tampa. Now entering a key series against the Minnesota Twins, who sit on top of the AL Central with a 26 and 24 record Jays at 26 and 25 fifth in the American league East and not a spot they want to be in for very long as the uh, AL East uh, looks to be full of competitors this year. It's not just the Yankees and the Rays, but the Orioles and the Red Sox don't appear to be pushovers either. And 
uh, for a Jays team spending the kind of money they are on this roster, uh, fifth in their division and maybe missing out on a playoff spot really doesn't seem like an option for this team. We're a while away from any of that becoming reality, but uh, you go on a whole lot of more two and eight stretches and you're going to uh, find yourself in a bad spot if you're the Jays. They look to turn it around against Minnesota tonight on Sportsnet 1 and right here on Sportsnet 960. The fans, 610 first pitch, Gosman v. Varland. Uh, you can get your Toronto Blue Jays fixed as we uh, wait for game number five of the Western Conference Final on Saturday between the Stars and the Golden Knights. That'll uh, do it for us today. Uh, we've had a great show. Appreciate you listening, whether live or on the podcast. Thank you to both of our guests today, Ken Weeb from Sportsnet and John Bender, former Calgary Stampeder. Reminder, you can get the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Uh, we are back on Monday for another edition of the show. We'll see if we got a Stanley Cup final matchup. Uh, to talk about. Uh, looking forward to what should be a good weekend. Uh, enjoy yourselves. Thank you to my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, for another great week of work. We are back at it Monday, same time, same place. Enjoy the weekend. Signing off here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.